Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is episode 260 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abuel Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm all by myself this week. Well, sort of. Um, Robbie is off in Monterey, hobnobbing with the fancy folks at uh, Pebble Beach. And uh, Nicole is on her way back from having emptied her nest and uh, delivering her youngest daughter to school. Uh, so it's just me and uh, a couple of a few people that I have done interviews with in the last few days. Um, as this week was the, uh, the Woodward Dream Cruise here in the Detroit area. And uh, had a chance to sit down and talk with Tim Kaniskas, the head of the Dodge brand, uh, Mickey Bly, the uh, head of propulsion systems engineering at Stellantis, and Jim Owens, the uh, marketing and brand manager for Mustang and Shelby at Ford. Uh, so enjoy uh, these, uh, these interviews, and we will talk to you later. First up is Tim Kaniskas, the CEO of the Dodge brand. All right. Hey, thanks for your time today, Tim. I really appreciate this. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the Charger Daytona in person tomorrow night. I'm trying to get, um, I'm trying to get those lights out of the way. <laughs> um, so, um, uh I want to go through uh, some of the stuff that you're announcing this week. Well, most of the focus is going to be on the Charger Daytona SRT concept. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the um, the stuff you announced uh, last night as we're recording this, uh, which is uh, the end of production for the uh, the Charger and Challenger as they exist today uh, at the end of 2023. Um, and um, particularly uh, this uh, this thing that you're doing with the allocations and Dodge Garage uh, and how uh, how that's all going to work. So um, what what is the process going to be? You're, you're going to allocate all the vehicles to dealers all at one time. Uh, is there going to be an opportunity for customers to to order and specify their own vehicles or do they just have to pick from what what gets built? You know, it's um, it's not a really a Dodge problem. It's has always been an industry issue and with COVID and chip shortages and things like that, it's become even more of an issue with availability of cars and things like that. And the allocation process is, is always very confusing um, to customers because I totally understand, you know, I'm an enthusiast as well and I've had to buy products myself where, you know, it gets confusing. If, if you're a customer and you want to buy a car and you're willing to pay for the car, why can't I just have the car? Um, it gets confusing in that, you know, our first customer is our franchise business partner, our dealers, and we have to sell to our dealers and our dealers ultimately in turn sell to the customers. So we have to have a methodology by which we allocate our cars to the dealers. We've been doing this forever. Everybody does it. And when you have plenty of supply, it's a non-issue. But when you get into a supply crunch, it always becomes a problem. And when you get into limited production cars and things like that, it's, it's always a challenge. So what we did or what we're doing for the final end of production is we don't want someone to say, make up a car. I'm looking for a Challenger jailbreak 
spec as such, and I really want to go buy this car, and they were to go into a dealer and order the car, and that dealer didn't have the sales history to, to earn an allocation for that particular product. So that customer could end up waiting a long time and having that car never built. Now, sometimes when there's many years left of the life cycle, eventually they'll get that car picked up and they'll get their car built, and it's a delay, but you know they'll get the car. But when you're going to the cliff, when you're going to the end of production, if they don't get their car, that's it. It's over. It's done. It's a, it's a real problem. So what we said was, okay, we've got to try and help these customers. We've got to be as transparent as possible. So let's not put out an allocation every month. Let's put out the allocation of every single car that we can build until the end of production. Sure, we'll, we'll hold back a little bit because there's going to be, of course, the inevitable chip shortage or something like that. And I don't want to get ahead of my headlights. But let's put out everything that we think we're going to be able to build for the last year, literally down to the trim. How many RTs you're going to be able to build? How many scat packs? How many Hellcats? How many red eyes? How many jailbreaks? Everything by trim. And then break it down to the individual dealer and make it up. We have 2,600 dealers in the country. Let's just make it up and say there's only five. That particular dealer over there, he's going to get 50. That dealer's going to get 100. That dealer's going to get 25. That yet on and on and on. And then within that, the dealer who's getting 50. He's going to get five of these, five of these, 10 of these, 12 of these, whatever, all the way down the list. And we're going to post that on our website. That way you'll know I'm looking for a Challenger Superstock. I know that I can go to that dealer in my local market and he's been allocated to earn 12 of them. I go in and order the car from him. Let's say I don't go. The next week I'm going to update it again. And that 12 is then going to change to three. Uh-oh, I better hurry up. There's only three left. I got to go in and order that car. The next week, it's going to go to zero. And they're going to go, okay, I can't go to that guy. I've got to go to the next guy. Who's the next guy on the list that I can go? And that way they know when they do order their car, they are assured that they're ordering it from a dealer that has allocation to get it built, and they're going to ultimately get their car. Okay. And one one clarification, I think, as I understand with the jailbreak program, uh, part of that is uh, you order uh, vehicles can be specified with different combinations that aren't part of the, that haven't been part of the regular uh, build combinations in the past. Um, and who is going to get to specify what that is? Is that going to be the dealer? Once they get their allocation, they'll say, okay, I want it. I want a purple, uh, purple challenger uh, scat pack uh, with, with, with these, uh, you know, th- these other options, or would that be a customer that would no, working great, with the dealer? Do that? Great question. Everything that I've spoken about up to this point, those are all ordered, all ordered and configured by the customer. However they want to order it, whatever colors, whatever options, spec'd by them, ordered through the dealer, all by them. Now, jailbreak is a unique example because jailbreak, they can, you know, pretty much order all over the board, anything they want. But we allocate jailbreaks individually, no different than say, I want a Challenger, I want a Charger, I want a Scat Pack, I want a Hellcat. We allocate jailbreaks specifically. So if you were to go into a dealer to order a jailbreak and that dealer didn't have allocation, that car would never get built. And that's why we want to communicate, this is where you go, this is how you get your car built. Where the confusion comes in is all of these cars are spec by an individual customer. Where the confusion comes in is we're going to have six end-of-life special editions. Those six end-of-life special editions, which we're going to roll out between now and SEMA, we have dates on every one of them. And on that date, we're going to send out a press release and say, here's what that version is. Here's what it looks like. Here's the specs. Here's the features. All of those are going to be built by us. Those are not going to be ordered. 
those are just kind of the cherry on the top. You know, think of it like a sneaker drop. Hey, mm -hmm. 50 purple ones, and those 50 are going to go to the highest volume guys around the country. If you want one, here's where they're going. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Moving on from the the end of the current uh, generation to what's coming next. Uh, let's start with the Hornet. Um, this is a new product segment for Dodge, and you know D Dodge has had an amazing renaissance over the last decade. You know, with this this really focusing on muscle cars. You know, you've lost some of the previous nameplates that you had, but the 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 nameplates that you've got have had a remarkable um, renaissance this this decade. And where does where does the Hornet fit into this as part of this muscle car ethos for the Dodge brand. And how does it, uh, how does it differ from uh, a certain other vehicle within the Stellantis family that, that it shares a lot with? Yeah. The, the Hornet's going to be a, a real fun one for us because if you don't know anything about Dodge, if you don't follow Dodge, if you don't care about Dodge and you were to ask that, that type of a person, Hey, who is the customer that's buying Dodge vehicles today? they will be probably way far off on who it is. Dodge actually has the youngest demographic in the entire industry. We have a very young customer buying our cars. And when you look inside the individual cars, Charger and specifically the mainstream variants of Charger are driving our youngest customer base. So that told us that we have the next generation of people that are looking for stuff that's fun and interesting to drive, trying to find things in segments that appeal to them. We looked at the compact UV segment. The compact UV segment has no correlation to Dodge. You would never look at that segment and go, oh, well, that's the next natural place Dodge is going to go. No way. That segment is driven by price, value, fuel economy. They are very pragmatic purchased vehicles. If you look at the customer responses of why they bought their cars, they, they literally have reams of data of why the people bought them. You don't get the stuff that feels like Dodge, like power, acceleration, fun to drive, vehicle image. You don't get to those things until like 20, 30, 40 on the list of reasons to buy, which is essentially might as well be zero, right? By the time you get that low. So all of those buyers aren't looking for a Dodge. That would be what all the experts would say is the segment makes no sense for you. What we're saying is, wait a minute, we've got the youngest buyer. We have data that shows our youngest buyers are looking for things that are different than the mainstream offerings that they can find from anybody else. And that's why they're coming and buying Pinnistar chargers from us, because it's different, it's unique, it's got a personality, it's got an attitude. And we said, wait a minute, that segment is the fastest growing, hottest segment in the industry. It's a million units today. It's projected to go to a million five. It's going to grow 50% in the next five years. And it's all young people driving that growth on commoditized vehicles. We're like, this is the perfect little segment for us to go in and rile it up because with that many cars i just need a fraction of it just a fraction of that is good business for me well that's uh, that's actually really interesting that uh that dodge is you know got such a young demographic uh compared to a lot of other brands um and i think that that um, you know, from from there, let's let's jump into um, what's what's next. You know, what's the the big new thing that you're announcing this week, uh, which is uh, the, the the Challenger SRT or the the Dodge Charger Daytona SRT concept, and this shift to electrification. Um, you know, and I hear from a lot of people that it's like, oh, I don't want an electric Charger or Challenger. You know, I want a big brawny V8. Uh, you know, that makes lots of noise. 
And listening to the presentation uh, the other day on the, the this vehicle and and reading about it, um, it seems like um, y- you've really tried to capture what it is that people love about these cars. At the same time as you move into this new era of electric vehicles, and perhaps you know maybe the the you know the the fact that you know you've got such a young demographic might actually be really positive as you make this move to electric because it seems like they're probably more likely to be interested in going electric. What tell tell us a bit more, you know, kind of the overview of the Charger Daytona. Yeah, they, that younger demographic is much more open to the transition to electrification. And we look at the 13 million people that are really brand ambassadors. They're not followers of the brand, they're brand ambassadors because they're highly, highly engaged. Some of them might not come along with this initially. Oh. Some of them will resist no product like that. And this is into them thinking, I don't know how this fits in our brand positioning. But when you drive them, you immediately go, wait a minute, there's some real performance potential here. And you know this, even the just the cars, even though they're not trying to be, because you can't deny that instantaneous torque. So we said, we, we've got to build a plan to transition. We can't just wake up one day and say, hey, we've gone electric. Come on along. This is great. That, nobody's going to do that, right? That's why we made this two-year plan, and we said we want to go in steps. We want to celebrate the end because that's what got us to where we are. Then we want to have a transition, and that transition, honestly, is Hornet because I think Hornet is going to be a really good test. People are going to listen to the story on Hornet, and they're going to say, wait a minute, there's two versions. There's a gas version, and there's a PHEV version. The gas version is fast. It's quick. It's got all-wheel drive. It's got torque vectoring. I can get track back. I can get Brembo's. I'm going to get that one. Then they're going to go, wait a minute. All the journalists are driving this PHEV, and they're saying this thing has almost 400 pound-feet of torque. It's got seat-of-the-pants feel like a V and a compact UV. It's got push-to-pass technology that I can literally have 25 horsepower on demand to improve my zero to 60 times. Wait a minute. There's something cool here. There's something to this electrification. That's going to get people comfortable with, wait a minute, the electric one's actually better than the gas one okay step one then we go to daytona people are going to go whoa wait a minute now i've got a full battery electric car that my halo my fastest my best of the best is this 800 volt banshee system and it's going to give me all of the things that i'm used to in a muscle car it's going to give me that feeling of not linear acceleration but actually shifting it's going to give me that rumble that burble of the exhaust and the changes in the exhaust note it's going to give me that huge acceleration factor. It's going to give me all those things. Oh wait, it's electric. Ah, okay, I'm fine with that. Uh, yeah, and and this you, you mentioned the exhaust, and this is this is probably the single most unique aspect of this of this car and this powertrain that that you're developing. You, know, you think of EVs, you think of zero emissions. You know, I don't need an exhaust pipe. There's no there's no exhaust pipe. But you've got exhaust pipes. Tell us more about the this Fratsonic uh, exhaust system. What what is that all about? How's that work? Yeah, when we first started talking about this, people thought I was actually crazy. And I said, you got to think about picture. Everybody's been there. Picture a pipe organ. 
The first time you ever saw and heard a pipe organ, it immediately clicked in your brain. You heard the sound, you heard the deep tones, you heard the totally unique sound of that. And then you saw those big staggered pipes and it just clicked in your brain and it made sense. I said, if you look at a car today, look at a normally asked, a normal uh, internal combustion car today in the exhaust note, people a lot of times don't even think about what that sound is. It's like magic. Oh, it's a gas car. It makes sound. Well, it doesn't have to. I mean, we have active noise cancellation. We have sophisticated exhaust systems. We can make a gas car silent today. We, we just don't because no one's ever asked us to do it. So you put gas in a car, that gas burns, it moves a piston, that piston moves air, that movement of air comes through a pipe, we tune the pipe and it makes a sound and everybody thinks it's magic. Wow, look at the sound, it's great. We all tune it, we have very characteristic sounds. Um, there's no difference with electrification. With electrification, I can move that air the same way, but if I move the air the same way, it's speaker. Everybody can do it, it's easy. I can put a speaker in the car and I can make some sound. Okay, so what? We don't wanna do that. We said. Let's look at how a gas car makes sound today. It produces that air and the frequency and the flow and the speed and the volume of that air based on a couple of things. Throttle position, vehicle speed, whether I'm shifting, I'm not shifting, the load of the end that the engine's under, all of those things change the dynamics of the movement of the air. Let's take all those inputs. They all still exist on an electric car. How much pedal am I giving it? Am I wide open throttle? Am I going up a hill? How much is my load? Am I shifting? Am I not shifting? Am I downshifting? All of those same inputs, let's put those all into the system and then let's move that air, not through a speaker that's sitting in the car, let's move that, system, that air through a set of pipes and chambers and an exhaust pipe so it actually comes out the back of the car so you get the spatial feeling of the sound is outside, the sound is back behind the car and it makes all the difference in the world, 126 decibels out the back outside all of a sudden now gives me that rumble back, gives me that feeling back inside the car. So is that, you know, a, you know, is that what it's going to sound like? Is it going to be like a deep throaty rumble, like, like something like you might hear from a Hellcat or is it going to be something else entirely? Uh, you know, well, what, what sort of sound can we expect to hear from this? It's a great question. And we worked on this for a long, long time because you can generate a sound any way you want. I mean, some people are going down the super high tech, you know, Jetsons type sounds. Mm -hmm. And some people are saying, hey, I want to recreate the sound of a V8. Some people say they want to call their cars, you know, turbocharged cars and things like that. We're like, no, let's, let's, let's be honest with these people how we're doing this. And let's make a new sound that we think is forward looking, high tech and fits with the name we call it a banshee so it is a screaming almost jet engine electronic sound at wide open throttle so you get this banshee whale at wide open throttle but when you come off of that banshee whale it settles into a deep uh, idling rumble and the key to the whole thing is when you hear it there's something very comforting about it it's new it's fresh it's modern it's different but there's something that reminds you of something and what that is is we built into the bass track. You'll never notice it. You'll only notice it now because I'm going to tell you, but we built into the bass track that when the bass is hitting, the cadence of that bass is literally the firing order of a Hemi V8. You'll okay. never see it. You'll never notice it, but it will make you feel comfortable. It's almost like the old subliminal, subliminal advertising. I don't know what it is, but I'm comfortable with it. I like it. Man, when it's full throat and I hear that banshee screaming, that's cool. 
Yeah, it's funny. When I first drove the reviewed the Tesla Roadster back in early 2008, uh, when it first came out, you know, I had I had driven the Lotus Elise and I'd driven lots of other cars. And you know, that that Roadster was, you know, it was really quick and was really fun, but that lack of sound, that lack of that visceral um response feedback that you get um was was something that's always been kind of missing from evs for me it's that it, you know I, I love the way evs feel when they when they when you drive them but um that that absence of the sound that that visceral feedback um it does seem like it's something that's missing and um and uh, it's fascinating to hear what you what you're going to be doing with this i can't wait to hear this thing in person um so that's also why we're putting the erupt system. You know, we patented the erupt system yeah. as well. And, you know, we had really, I'll call them spirited debates internally because, you know, we, we actually added a multi-speed transmission to the car. It doesn't make the car any faster. So, you know, all the experts will tell you, well, wait a minute, you're adding cost to the car. You're adding development costs and you're adding piece costs to the car and it's not making the car any faster. And you tell me out of every conversation, you're all about, you know, maximizing the performance, yet you're adding a feature that is adding investment and adding cost and is not adding performance. I said, no, no, we say performance is an attitude and this is going to give us attitude. This is going to give us the driving feel and the excitement that's missing in linear acceleration. It, linear acceleration is by far the most efficient. There's no question, but it also gets stale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that that's a that's a great way of describing you know performance is an attitude, and especially for a brand like Dodge, because you know you you could you can make the argument that you know a Tesla Model S Plaid is you know a classic American muscle car in terms of its its core performance characteristics it's really fast in a straight line yeah the handling you know, maybe not quite so much uh braking but it's really fast in a straight line and obviously you don't want dodge to be the same thing and that and that's one of the dangers you know with with the transition to evs most evs you know electric motors all basically sound and feel the same unlike internal combustion engines that have more distinct characters to them and it sounds like you've really found a way to uh, to to create some of that Dodge character, to create a unique character for your brand that would justify somebody saying, yeah, I want a Dodge instead of, you know, a Ford or a Chevy or a Tesla. So we hope. Yeah. So And, and you know what? If you look at the industry trans transitioning to EVs, if, if we can make people accepting of EV technology in a muscle car, you can do it in anything. Okay, so um, one one last uh, area we've only got a few minutes left uh, that I wanted to dive into um, in the the presentation the other day um, talked about uh, for when you start launching some of these vehicles in 2024 um, you're looking at three kind of performance levels for from the factory uh, and then other stuff that you're going to offer through um, uh, Dodge uh, Direct Connection, um, I think up to six different performance levels. How's that going to work? Uh, are we talking about software changes or are there actually going to be hardware changes that are involved in this? What What are you looking at there? So normally you would require hardware changes, but we're planning for this in the development of the car right up front, which is going to help us avoid the majority of that. And it's also the reason that we launched Direct Connection when we launched it, because we've told everyone very clearly that we're only in the pilot phase of Direct Connection, because we wanted to learn everything that we were going to screw up 
first with a small set of dealers. Our power broker dealers are the only dealers that are allowed to sell direct connection. So we're learning as we go with those power broker dealers. We're understanding how our e-commerce website works for selling these parts and how all of the mechanics of that is coming together. Once we have that really dialed in, we will expand it to more power broker dealers. And at that point, it will be mostly ICE. But at that same time, we'll be launching Hornet. And within Hornet, the first direct connection stuff will be for our GLH, our goes like hell model. That will help the transition. And then when we get to the Daytona, we should have it all sorted out by then that each of the three power levels have already built in your hardware. Now, I'm going to have to probably give you some electronics as well, not just a software download. I'm probably going to have to give you some electronics. But if you know anything about the stage kits that we're doing on the ICE cars and on the on the, the Hornet, we give you a control box today. You have to buy our control box. You have to hook it up. You have to download it. You have to program it. You have to do all of that stuff yourself. We'll try to do that same thing in the next generation. And since we're planning for it now, it's going to allow us to open up modes. It won't be just power. We're going to be able to give you, you know, slam modes for car shows. We're going to be able to give you donut modes. We're going to be able to give you all kinds of other stuff that we can give as well, as long as we have that type of a control box to go along with it. All right. Um, for, I guess, um, as, as part of this uh, range of powertrain or, you know, power options that you're going to have on these vehicles are features like the multi-speed transmission. Is that going to be used across the board for Dodge? Uh, and is that going to be something that's unique to Dodge or is the Erupt um, or something like it going to be on other, uh, you know, some, some of the other Stellantis brands as well? Well, the only, the only car that we're talking about right now, since, you know, it's, it's technically, it's a concept car. The only one that we're talking about right now is the 800 volt Banshee. Um, TBD on exactly where we're going to deploy all that technology throughout the lineup. You know, we need certain things that differentiate the lineup. So I, I can't put everything that we talk about in the Banshee in, in every single car. Um, so we, we got a little bit of time to still sort that out. Um, will other brands within the family, within the company, um, take on some of that technology? Maybe um, if it fits their brand positioning. You know, our CEO, Carlos Tavares, is is very big on proper brand positioning and using the things that make sense for your brand, not just grabbing everything because it exists in the in the parts bin of the company. Uh, it needs to make sense for what you're trying to do as a brand. So TBD on some if somebody else is going to want to use it. Now, some of the things, they're clearly Dodge and nobody would probably want them, but um, not my call. That's the CEO's call. Yeah. Well, um, I, I didn't invest in him. He did. Yeah. Well, for, you know, having listened to you for a number of years now, you know, as you've been leading the Dodge brand, uh, you know, I can, I can really sense the enthusiasm you have for what this brand is supposed to be and what, you know, what you're trying to build it into. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see you talk about, you know, this, this transition to electrification, you know, through plug-in hybrids and, and then battery electrics. And it's good to see, you know, somebody leading a brand with such enthusiasm. Do you have any final thoughts uh, that you want to share um, about kind of what you're doing with Dodge, where where the Dodge brand is going. Yeah, you know, a lot of our um, very traditionalist fans have said to me, we thought you would be the last one to transition to electrification. We thought you would be the holdout in the industry that would carry the ice flag forever. And what I say to all of them is the industry has invested a half a trillion dollars. There is no mulligan for half a trillion dollars. 
this party is going to come, whether anybody likes it or not, you can try and avoid it, or you can look at it like any true racer does. Any racer in any series takes the rule book and figures out how to twist those rules in their favor and win the race. We looked at the rule book. We looked at the party that was coming and we said, you know what? Let's go to the party and let's dance like Dodge dances and let's see what we can do with this. Well, it sounds like you've definitely got the right attitude to be leading this brand into the future. So uh, good luck and, and congratulations on uh, on the, the new products and, and uh, this concept. And uh, thanks for your time. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Yeah, bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Next up, I've got Mickey Bly, the head of propulsion engineering at Stellantis. All right. Sitting here with Mickey Bly, the uh, VP of propulsion engineering yep, for, propulsion Stel- engineering. for yep. Stellantis. Um, and we just saw the global unveil of the Dodge Charger Daytona Banshee, or Dodge Charger Daytona SRT Banshee. Right. Uh, this is a concept that gives us a a little preview of where the Dodge brand is going with uh, e-muscle cars, which we we first heard about a, a little over a year ago, your EV day. Um, Give me your perspective on this car. You know, what what were you trying to achieve? What what what's what was the goal in creating an EV that is a Dodge muscle car? Yeah. Well, you know, Tim's uh, very uh, kind of forward thinking. He he knows what the Dodge brand is and what the, the loyalist, the, the brotherhood of muscle wants in their vehicles. And when Tim got us together about a year and a half ago, he said, listen, he knows he has to go into the EV, EV space. Uh, you know, the, the heavy Hemis, that they've been great to the company, they've been great to the brand. But he really said, hey, if we go into this space, if we go into this space, we got to do it right. we got to be something different. We can't just be what everybody else is getting. So as we st- said uh, at Stellantis uh, EV Day last year to refer to, you know, we're going to bring together an electrification strategy that really leverages scale. So what does that mean? From an architecture point of view, you know, we're, we announced that we're going to do these four architectures, right? That we're going to install a small, medium, large, and frame. So Tim said, great. I need to participate in that because he gets the scale and the value. But I need something different. I need to make sure the Dodge brand doesn't just become one of the other EV performance, uh, EV vehicles. So when he set us aside, he said, you know, give me something different. Give me more power. Give me more excitement. Give me more sound. Give me more uh, feeling in the vehicle. So he kind of set us aside and said, you know, I want this, what's now been released as Banshee, to be something unique to him. So he's, he took us down that path. And he set some pretty formal uh, expectations from it. So there's no doubt this will stick out from all the other brands that we're 
produce an EV. It's just going in a different way. It's going in a different place. All-wheel drive, even though you saw today the concept, 800-volt system inside of it, um, uh, two EDMs on, on the vehicle, but very importantly is a multi-speed transmission or gearbox on it also. And all these things together is what he called the visceral feel of the vehicle is, is he's just pushing us. And, you know, with Tim, you, you get to, I want this, and then you give it, you say, I can do it. And he's, oh, I didn't ask enough. So he asked for a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So really that's what it is, is how do we make this thing make sure the loyalists of Dodge, that he's built a brand over the years, get something exciting. And that's what we're going to deliver to him. And, I mean, you've certainly, certainly seem to be on the right track with this because one of the things I hear a lot from listeners to the podcast and readers of the stuff I write that are fans of the current muscle cars, the Hellcats, the, the, the Hemis, you know, is, you know, I love the sound, the feel. And that's always been one of the things about internal combustion engines for 130 years is you can, you can design, you can give the engines a, Engines, different engines, a distinct feel and characteristic, and you drive them. In, and a lot of times, you know, if you know what you're looking for, you can tell what it is you're driving without even looking at it. And with EVs, up till now at least, that hasn't been the case. You know, electric motors are all pretty much the same. They, they don't vibrate. Yeah. You know, they don't really make much in the way of sound. And that, that I mean, that's the first really unique thing here is this is the first EV with an exhaust system. Yeah. And yeah. so how did you guys come up with this concept? Well, it's funny because we started from what the brand's vision is. You know, it feels like a Dodge, sounds like a Dodge, performs like a Dodge. And, and you know, Tim just unleashed us. He said, listen, come back with crazy ideas. What, what can we do differently? So there's some guys out there that were doing simple speakers. We know there's some regulatory speaker sounds you have to sure. do driving around. And Tim, and Tim was like, that that doesn't work for me, right? I need something different. So they said, okay, make a really you know, loud. On Zimmer soundtrack? Yeah, exactly. Your muscle car. <laughs> said, well, make a really loud version. Or we'll record a Hemi. And he's like, no, 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 guys. We got to make this real. So he, he set off the, uh, the the chassis guys and the audio guys, which is another team within when Solantis. He said, "Listen, give me something different." And he had this vision in his head. He said, "Imagine sitting in the most famous, beautiful church you've ever been with a pipe organ system. You know, there's there's a there's a guy in the front, guy or girl in the front of it, playing on this simple little keyboard. And you're like, they're not doing much." But above them is these beautiful pipes and this, this sound that resonates within the church walls. It vibrates, it bounces all over, and you feel it in your throat, you feel it in your body. And that's what he set the guys off. He says, make me the church pipe organ. How do you make something on a car that's like that when you don't have a combustion engine? And what the, what the team's created uh, is this, this resonating system that creates an air, uh, you know, a, a velocity of air inside of it, has a number of chambers inside of it, and out, you feel it on the back of the car. And it's going to be an exciting, and inside the car, it, you feel it, it vibrates, it sounds cool. And they're tweaking what the final sound will like, you heard kind of a, a part of it today. It's going to really be unique. There's a lot of buried noises inside of there that, uh, you know, maybe has some heritage in the different levels. Oh, yeah, and maybe some uh, firing orders going on inside of there to kind of get reminiscence of what the, the Hemi's done, which has been a great engine for us. So that's how it really started, and, and we worked on concepts for the last six months. My team's responsibility is really give them the inputs. How do we give communicate to him what's traditionally a, a throttle pedal connected to an engine, connected to gas, to combustion out the exhaust? How do I translate that into now a pedal in the car, power pedal in the car, that creates electric power in a, a, a EDM, electric drive module, and that gets torque in the end. So I had to connect the two of how do you make an IC combustion resonating 
air pulse through the system connected to a drive unit. So that's what my team's doing. So that that right pedal is is the equivalent of the keyboard for the yeah. organ player. Exactly. Um, and you know, having heard it now, you know, the obviously the thing you, you don't want to do is, it, is just have a recording of a Hemi or a Hellcat because that that would be inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, other manufacturers have tried some stuff. You know, Ford's done some things with the Mustang Mach-E, which is okay, but it's not. It's not. The, you know, it, it's you know, it's distinct to that vehicle, but it you know, it's not nearly as visceral as what we just heard, and, and you know, it's clearly not not the whole story that we've heard yet. Yeah, there's you know, more to it. When when we see that thing running down a drag strip, I'm sure it's going to be very very different. Um, so, what? Um, the um, the gearboxes, um, two gearboxes, one on each each axle. Um, other manufacturers have done that. Um, Porsche and, and Audi have that on the Taycan and e-tron GT. Um, Tesla tried to do it on the original Roadster, didn't succeed. Um, what? How? How did you overcome the challenges of getting uh, a gearbox to last? You know, in that kind of high torque environment, because unlike with with an engine, you know, when you lift off when you're shifting, uh, you know, you have a torque lull, so it leaves a little bit of the strain on those gears as you're shifting. You don't have that with an electric drivetrain. So how how did you how did you handle that? Well, it's it's uh, it's been a challenge. I'll tell you that it wasn't like just uh, we woke up one day and figured it out. But as you said, we'll have a multi-speed gearbox in there, and others are doing. There's there's a couple of very premium Europeans that have gone down this road. And, and that'll be a little bit of a difference for Dodge. Dodge bringing that into more of the mainstream performance muscle car feel. Um, I, I can tell you that what, what we wanted to do, as you said, is we bring this power on, this torque on these these machines, which we're not announcing the, the power or the torque level yet. That'll come come out in the future. Is Tim Tim's request from the Dodge brand is why do you do a multi-speed? Don't list, it's not an advertisement; it's a logo. He wants it to be performance so as you know very well is we need that low speed multiplier to get high torque but we also want to be able to high speed and, and people on the highway and by having a multi-speed you can really take advantage of that torque multiplication like you do on a normal first or second gear and then so we can apply that so we've got a lot of tractive effort that we got to put to the ground we got to make sure that tractive effort doesn't come back into the gearbox as you said damage it so we're spending a lot of time uh, and we've got some really sophisticated torque uh, tools that allows us to design these gearboxes. We make gearboxes everywhere. We make millions of gearboxes. My team is experts in being able to design these gears. So it really, I don't want to make it sound simple, but it is really just basic mechanical engineering 101 that we've been able to do in this. It's a lot more difficult. As you said, we don't have that wind up and wind down. We don't have slipping of a torque converter. We don't have a clutch that can slip a little bit. So we got to make sure we get it right because if the customers can do it, they will. We know that. And how many gears have we got in there? Multi-speed <laughs> okay. at this time. That will be a future announcement. All right. Um, the the rest of the powertrain, the, the electric machines, um, what anything you can tell us about that uh, you know that you've done there that is um, unique to Stellantis or or in fact or unique to the Banshee as opposed to maybe the rest of your lineup? So you know most of the world in electrification, the full BEVs are in the I'll use a nominal number 400 volt systems. Um, as, as Tim announced with the Banshee, will be an 800 volt system, but we're not unique in 800. There's a couple of doing 800 volt systems. 
Uh, some doing a you know 800, 900 volt system, and, and it's a very simple. Instead of the mechanical F equals M A, it's getting into the V equals I R or the power equals uh, V I, and so by raising the voltage up, we're able to deliver more power at the same current level. So that's really kind of the secret sauce we're working on: is how do we get more power out of the same battery? The battery technology exists today. Well, we've made some big announcements partnering with LG and Samsung, but uh, that's kind of between the multi-speed, the 800-volt system, and really spending a lot of time in these drive units, we think we've kind of tuned it in very well. And we've got a few surprises still to be announced about how we get the performance. When you see the performance numbers, will we, will we be the fastest EV on the road today? As Tim said, maybe not the fastest, but it's going to be a totally different driving experience. I mean, as you know, you've been in these cars. They're getting to the point now where it's almost beyond the normal driver's capability to drive this. So we're going to be in that realm of the expert driver capability with the Banshee. And, uh, you know, will someone have five kilowatts? Okay, we, we, the race of horsepower will become the race of kilowatts. But when you drive this vehicle and you see the, the performance of it, it's going to be remarkable. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some hyper cars out there, like the, the Pininfarina Batista and the uh, Lotus uh, Avaya, you know, that are in that 2,000 horsepower range, 1,500 kilowatts. Uh, I can tell you we won't be there. How about okay. that? <laughs> and, you know, for the price and, point, we'll never well, be there. And, you know, for, for a streetcar, I frankly don't think you should be. You know, I, I'm, you know, you see cars like the Model S Plaid out there, that 0 to 60 in two seconds. At least the first yeah, or on, second on, time. On the street, on, yeah. On, a, on the street, you know, nobody needs that kind of performance. You know, if you're taking it to the track, yeah, that's fine. But, um the the uh, the drive units uh, that you're developing for this are those shared with the other Stella um, electric uh, like is that a common architecture with the other Stella electric platforms? So as we announced last July at the EV Day, we've got the Stella platforms of vehicles. So Stella small, medium, large, and frame. This will be on the large platform. And then I also when I presented was the EDMs for that. So we talked about having three families of EDMs, uh, kind of the hundred kilowatt version the 150 to 250 kilowatt version, and we said the 300 plus kilowatt version. These will clearly be in that family, but we've been given the latitude to take that family and put a little more behind it. So it'll be it'll it'll be an extension of what we presented last year. Okay, but the uh, the multi-speed gearboxes that's something that at least for now is going to stay unique to Dodge. Um, Dodge is the first to announce what we're using it for. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some other brands within the family that could possibly use that. Right, right. Um, all right. Um, before, we, before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about the Hornet and the, the powertrain in there. Um, that is uh, the first Dodge electrified vehicle, uh, plug-in hybrid. Um, tell me more about that one. Yeah, just to start with, you know, the, the, the announcement we made in the Hornet is it's really bringing Dodge into that hot hatch kind of environment. So we'll have the, 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 the I'll say, the entry level point of that, which is a crazy performing entry level, which is a full ice version of that. And as, as was announced, the Hurricane 4 engine on that, which is our 2 liter um, doke engine that'll be there. We're moving it up, the, the, the up version of that, at least up from what we've announced is available, will be the PHEV, the plug-in version. But as Tim said, we're not going to really worry about calling the plug-ins. It's going to be a really high-performance uh, electrified uh, plug-in vehicle. So we have the 1.3-liter engine in there, turbo engine, which is performing in the, in the European market today. We're bringing that over here. We're doing a little bit of unique calibration for it. And then the secret sauce is this EDM on the back end. Instead of using it purely for efficiency and regen capturing, we wanted to make it as performance-based as possible. 
possible. And, uh, you know, the, the power shot feature on there, so we're reserving a little bit of capacity in the battery uh, so that when the customers want to have a, a zero to 60 launch or a highway pass or on-ramp, they push this button, unleashes significant amount of power, 20, 25 horsepower for additional uh, horsepower. It's kind of a fun little car. I've driven it around in, in Europe a couple weeks ago as we were doing the development. It's just fun. It is what Dodge wants. You know, it's got the special suspension tuning. It's got the special tires on it. My team's to deliver is, you know, uh, uh, over 30 miles of electric range. So if you plug it in, charge it up fully, you get 30 miles of electric range, which is great for that size car. Um, most of the drivers in the U.S. will drive 30 miles or less. With COVID, maybe three miles or less uh, in the last couple of years. So it, it's going to be a no-excuse, fun-to-drive, accelerating or exhilarating type of performance plug-in hybrid and I don't even know I don't even think Tim's gonna the Dodge brand is gonna even call it a plug-in per se obviously it'll be the technology he wants to just be a really fun fun little hot hatch yeah and, and you mentioned uh, power shot and I forgot to ask you about that in the context of the, uh, the charger um, uh, Tim's mentioned the the power shot um, what what's the strategy there is that uh, Basically, kind of an overboost mode, drawing more power out of the battery exactly. for brief periods of time. Yeah, so we'll do a little bit of reserve capacity on the power side of it, making sure you know when you enter in the mode, it, it, it's kind of like launch mode he has in the Durango yeah. today, making sure the temperatures are all in the right, right make sure everything's after right, and then if it's good, then, then let it go. And what we're going to try to do is make sure that this isn't a one, two, and you're done type of performance, which some of our competitors are doing because they just don't have the, the sustainability of that kind of a power delivery. So this will be a repeatable power type of a feel, no excuses, you can go street light to street light or wherever you want to do it on drag strip over and over. So it's going to be a fun, fun little feature we put in there. And uh, Tim's already mentioned that we'll launch the, with, with the Banshee system. It'll be produced with a couple of power levels, but then the Direct Connect, you're actually going to be upgrading the power level over the life of the vehicle. So it's kind of a little Easter egg that you revealed today, is we're going to be able to, with some work uh, to be announced, is you may buy it at this power level. Six months later, you may say, "Hey, I want to. I, I want to have a little more fun on this," and you can actually buy, buy more power or more power. And we'll show you how that's going to be done later. Okay, um, it's it's been really fascinating to watch the evolution of of this company over the last year or so. Uh, you know, for for a long time, it, it you know it seemed to be kind of stuck in the past. You know. I mean, it, I love the Hellcat engine. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> Every time I drive something with a Hellcat in it, you know, it's it's always been a hoot. But you know, as you and Tim said, you know, the the world's changing, yeah. and uh, you know, you're you clearly got a plan for how um, how the you know each of the brands, you know, particularly Dodge, is going to stay relevant and true to itself yeah. in that new context. Yeah, it's a fun place. I mean, I, I've been with the company now three and a half years, and what I have seen in three and a half years, you know, I have a history with another automotive company. You know, when I grew up, I was when I came into this engine business, I, I've been in engines for 30 years, and uh, I'm, my first assignment was trying to make the LS7 at 300 horsepower out of the small block V8, and to see what we're doing out of the Hemi today, I mean, we, we kind of ignored the guys up north of us when I was there, and uh, what we're doing on the Hemi now is just remarkable to get you the 700 horsepower, 800 horsepower out of this this leg, uh, legendary engine. But, you know, it's kind of getting to the end of its capability from regulation point of view, from CO2 point of view, uh, what we want to do uh, from an environmental point of view. But what's really nice about Stellantis, even with after the merger was, and the leadership of this team is, 
don't give up on what your brands mean. And, and uh, Carlos has made it very clear that the brands have a, have a right to survive, and uh, they got to prove what they want to do. And Dodge is the first of our big announcements. And uh, I'm, actually, our second announcement. You heard the, the Chrysler the story, the Chrysler yeah. story, the, which was coming out in uh, CES. And uh, we're just going to build on that, and, and it's fun. I, I've had a lot of fun in my career. This is even more fun. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Mickey. Thank it's you. Always great to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Finally, it's Jim Owens, the uh, brand and marketing manager for Mustang and Shelby at Ford. I'm sitting here with Jim Owens, the uh, marketing and brand manager for Mustang and Shelby Ford. And Jim, you and I have known each other a long time. Um, we worked together more than the, a decade. Yeah, worked <laughs> together on the on the launch of the last, the current generation Mustang. And you know, when we were working on this stuff, you know, GT350 and the the S550 Mustang back in 2013, early 14, did you imagine that now in mid-2022 that the best-selling Mustang would actually be a crossover with batteries and electric motors and no internal combustion? Um, The long answer and short answer is no, I wouldn't have thought that it would outsell the Mustang and no, we wouldn't have thought of an electric version of it. Um, But propulsion systems have always been you know, being investigated, you know, Carol with his natural gas Cobra, and we've got video of him out there trying it out there in the parking lot in Gardena. Um, even back in the, like, if you think of the Indy 500 days when, you know, Carol even developed some of the turbine engine vehicles that were there to race. Um, so they've always been experimental in there, but at pure electric in a Mustang in 2012 when we'd just done the Boss 302, mm-hmm. um, no, I probably wouldn't have thought of that. So, um you know, as a as a longtime enthusiast, you know, a, a hot rod guy, you know, you love. I know you love drag racing and, <laughs> and motorsports and, and you know Shelby vehicles. You know, going way back. What you know? How do you feel about a car like the Mach E GT today being the best selling Mustang? So um, it, I'm glad it's part of the Mustang family. And it, there's the thinking about it when we were first talking about expanding the Mustang family brand. Um, This car vehicle represents a lot of the same things that Mustang represented in, you know, 1962, 63, you know, when Lee Iacocca and the Ford Fairlane Committee were working on the original Mustang. What that was was a clean sheet of paper, new segment piece um, that, Mustang became so that it wasn't uh, the same car that your mom and dad drove back in the 60s, right? Well, if you think of what Mustang Mach-E is um, in that electric vehicle space, um, this is kind of that fresh, clean sheet of paper, if you will, similarly to what Mustang was in the 60s. Like, you don't design, you know, electric vehicles with a big front grille, <laughs> Right. I mean, this one has the big front grill and the pony proud and center. And so this was designed as a Mustang that had an electric propulsion system. And so for that purpose, I'm glad it's part of the Mustang family Um, from the performance aspects of it. I mean, you know, this car, like especially the GT performance back car, like we took it out at um, the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix 
and gave charity hot laps in it. And we're running with a Corvette C4 and, and a BMW from their racing school. Um, the acceleration, the Magnaride suspension, the Brembo brakes that are on there, the suspension that was tuned at the Ford Performance Center down in Charlotte on our, on our simulators there. Those are the things that are core to the DNA of Mustang. This thing is faster, the GT Performance Pack Edition, faster, 0 to 60, than my Shelby GT500. Uh-huh. And now as that technology and that battery technology evolves, you know, you can picture the future tweakers and tuners. You know, when I was growing up, and I'm a little older than you, but, like, you know, we'd be adjusting our floats and jets in our carburetor, and we'd be messing with Been the there, timing, yeah, and taking off a distributor cap and rotor and, mm-hmm. you know, adjusting the distributor tang. Um you know, as tweakers and tuners have evolved, if you think now, like, you know, the Focus RS people or even the Mustang people, they'll plug their laptop in and start going into the ECA and start messing with it to kind of get the calibrations that they want. Well, if you think into the future, how they're going to be doing this with the battery technology, they're going to be doing the same thing. Performance people and those that love performance stuff are going to find ways to take what is made from the factory and advance it and move it to their performance tastes. Um, all those things help make it a Mustang. The shape is like a Mustang. You wouldn't build an electric vehicle with that short hood and that dropping hood. You know, the back end, and I'm pointing in here. I know you can't see on the podcast, but I'm pointing. But the back there, that slope of the hood without where the painting is, is almost identical to the current Mach 1. The pony tri-bars, right, in the back, a different interpretation of it. But you've got the visual DNA there that you look at it. You look at... A tradi- you, know, you look at that GT500 across the way there, and you look at this, and you you can tell that there's there's a relationship there. There is a common thread yeah. in that family, and 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 yeah, as much as I love, right, I still love the 60s here. My favorite one is a 71 Mach one, right? I mean, I love that sloping hood, and a lot of them said those were the big fat boats, and a lot yeah. of people don't like those. Each of the Mustang owners probably have their own individual taste, but there is a consistent thread in the DNA. Of that, that makes this Mustang Mach-E a welcome and embraced member of the family. And now any good Mustang needs to have a Shelby derivative. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you saw it, SEMA, Gary Patterson and the Mary Band of Hot Routers unveiled a, and it'll be actually down here at Woodward, uh, or at Nine Mile, down at Ferndale, a Shelby Mach-E GT. And that Shelby Mach-E GT has the deep draw hood in the frunk. So what they do is they utilize the frunk to cut out so that the air can come in and actually push on the downforce. Uh-huh. Like they did the aerodynamics for it. They're working with the battery company to tweak it from a vehicle that, you know, is trying to maximize range while delivering performance to be an all-out Shelby. Think of like the blowers we used to put on the 06s, right? Maybe doing <laughs> some, some more robust uh, temperature management. Temperature management, cooling. Keep the the temperature in the sweet spot. Yeah. Maintain the performance. And so those are the type of things that that are going to be tweakers and tuners will do, but any good Mustang needs a Shelby and that Shelby version. Not only does it look like what a Shelby would be, and especially like the GT40 Cobra, like Daytona Coupe, deep draw hood, um, it actually is functionally performing better, um, and that's going to continue to evolve. Like, I'm a geek. I love the old stuff. Uh, I still favorite car to take out on a track. Mach 1 is really getting pretty close nowadays. That yeah. car is a lot of fun. You know, it was that Bostero 2 that we did. Um, yeah, yes, I love those things, 
But Mustang as a brand to continue has to evolve. And this is a decent member of the family, and it is a embraced member of the family, and it is one that, with that GT performance package in and of itself, with the stuff that, that we tweaked in tune on it, can sit next to a Mustang from a performance basis, at least in a straight line in 0-60. to 60. Uh, you know, One of the things about Mustang, going back to the very beginning, was uh, that, you know, I think they had the tagline, the car designed to be designed by you. You know, it was all about customization, personalization, personalization. Yeah. Um, you know, and so far, you know, from Ford Performance, like last year, you guys launched the Illuminator crate motor package so that people could take parts from this car and put it on, you know, do resto mods on other vehicles using the powertrain from this. Are we going to start seeing some stuff that allows the people, owners, to customize their, their Mach-E's and turn it into something more? I don't believe there's anything on the market right yet. Right. Right, at least from our perspective, um, from Ford's perspective, or Ford Performance, or the, you know, the old uh, the, the, the Ford component sales aspect of it. Um, there is obviously some accessories that the vehicle personalization team does, but not unlike the tweakers and tuners we were talking about, the SEMAs and the aftermarket folks will find what is out there and people who want to customize it. And when there is a market there, there will be a demand pull through that you're going to start getting those. And if you see, like, driving in Michigan, I know you do too, driving through, they are starting to customize. Like, the, um, the, this one was actually in Tulsa. We had a lady, uh, her dad, she was 26, 27, mom of two. She had a Mach-E. Um, she'd lowered the front changed the hood, put these huge graphic stripes on it, and when we were doing the the quarter miles, she lined up against her dad, who was in a GT500, <laughs> and he blew the light, and, and she beat him, basically. Then they did the time in the dial-ins. Um, but anyways, like, she's out there already customizing it. And as that demand, and as these get out into the hands of people who are enthusiasts that demand will pull that through for sure. So, yeah, I'm assuming we're going to see the same type of growth um, that, that you would see from the enthusiasts who buy it. Because this car also is, you know, bought by non-enthusiasts as well. Um, but the, the enthusiast pool will start pulling that demand through. Yeah, and I know uh, this week you mentioned SEMA. Uh, they're opening a new SEMA garage here in the Detroit area this week. And I, I actually toured there a few months ago while it was still under construction and some of the stuff they're doing in there is test cells, uh, you know, dino, a couple of dyno cells, and labs where companies can come in and develop stuff for you know, software updates and, uh, and, and you know, things to, to modify EVs and, and other modern vehicles. Are, is Ford working with any of those uh, companies and any of the, to, on, you know, to, at least to assist them and, you know, or give them some guidance as to how they might go some of that sort of thing? I do not know the relationship on that. Um, I know historically um, the Ford Performance Parts team or the Ford Racing Parts team would work with the SEMA companies to develop. Like we used to give um, vehicles to SEMA when we participated in right. there for them to tweak and tune it the way that they wanted to show it with their parts on there. Uh, I'm assuming as that aftermarket develops, we'll be getting into it, but I don't know if we're doing it right now. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit. 
literally. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, we're a few weeks away from the 2022 Detroit Auto Show, finally coming yep. back. Um, and one of the <coughs> highlights of the show this year is going to be seventh generation Mustang. Um, you know, we've seen spy photos of it, and not surprisingly, of you know, the you know kind of the the basic idea of Mustang, you know, the classic Mustangs is still there. But um, what's what's the overall theme direction that you're going with the, the internal combustion Mustang? Um, you know, we're going to learn a lot about that yeah. a little bit tonight. I think you're going to learn a little bit about that tonight at, at 7:30. Um, the you know, one of the things in the little teasers that you saw was the six-speed, uh-huh. you know, the manual transmission. There were, you know, uh, not rumors, but, you know, people posting on there, oh, the, the you know, manual transmission is gone. And we wanted to lean into that a little bit, um, kind of tease it a little bit with that with that shifter in there. Um, you know, the, the seventh-generation Mustang um, will surprise people um, in the investment that we've put into that internal combustion engine. Um, like, we're, you know, we're going to continue to evolve, and hopefully you'll see um, when we reveal the vehicle um, and then hear a little bit about it tonight that it's going to be about those enthusiasts, um, and it's designed with those in mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Ford was the first of the traditional brands, the legacy automakers, to bring out something like this Mach E you know, and go electric you know, in in one of their core uh, categories, or at least with one of their core nameplates, yeah, Lightning um, and, and Lightning and Mustang. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, a couple of days ago, we saw one of your local competitors here uh, come out with what they're where they're going next, uh, and it, it's it's a very interesting approach that they're taking because they uh, you know. They recognize, like you recognize, that there are still that core group of enthusiasts that love the noise and the, the visceral experience of driving a car like that. Um, do you, uh, you know, this car, you know, has some noise to it when you put it in unbridled mode, yeah. but it's not quite like what, <laughs> what Dodge is doing. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think, is, is there still, like, how long is there a place in the lineup for an internal combustion Mustang that makes traditional exhaust sounds and intake sounds? Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, seeing what Dodge did, right? Mm-hmm. It was um, it, it was impressive the, the way they did it and how they announced their 23 and the last of it being the, their internal combustion engines. Um, we were literally, like you said, the first to market with our brands, like with our F-Series and with our Mustang, to have that electric. And we know that there's also a desire and demand for that internal combustion engine. Um, this allows us under the family to do those things and manage our, you know, our CO2 and carbon footprint and, mm-hmm. you know, that where we can still do those things that those customers demand. Um, I don't think there's a horizon for it that I can talk about. I mean, like, that you never know where we're going with it. But we're really excited to be launching that seventh generation where in that, you know, that next model year, we will have both electric and internal combustion engine Mustangs. And we invested to do this seventh generation for it. And we believe that there is a marketplace for both. Okay. Um, 
obviously you can't get into the details yet at this point of the, the seventh generation car. But <clears throat> were you know, was there anything in particular um, that you know, as far as what you're trying to achieve with the new car um, beyond just extending the the traditional? You know, is, is there any new I'm kind of direction? I'm really going? excited for you to see it in September. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm re- I really am. I mean, we can't talk about the specifics towards it, but, you know, I've been around at Gen 4, Gen 5, Gen 6, and now Gen 7, and the, 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 it's, there's a lot of cool things coming. Okay. All right. Um, anything else you want to share about Mustang and kind of where the brand is going in the, the next 5, 10 years? Yeah, so the brand itself, like the... You know, the, the sports car segment has been shrinking, uh-huh. right? When we launched the, the Gen 6, or when we launched the Gen 5, for God's sakes, you know, we were a couple hundred thousand units a year uh-huh. those first two years. Uh, the segment size was, you know, two and a half percent. Um, now the sports car segment runs at about one, one and a half percent. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit smaller, but the brand strength hasn't decreased. Um, you know, the Mustangs are still the most shared social vehicle from, you know, regardless of age group, right? Um, you know, the boomers like me, um, you know, we're eventually getting older. <laughs> but, but what's nice to see is that they're, you know, the people who are on social media who had generally, or in, generally are a younger audience are still participating and in investing in that Mustang brand. And, you know, we have to find ways to continue to feed that, uh-huh. right? I mean, from it, when we were growing up, the Matchbox cars, you know, all the way up. And I've the got, cool I've got a bunch of them in my yeah, exactly. I've got them all sitting in there. Somebody found a 71 Mach 1 for me, which was really, really cool. Um, but uh, it was already opened out of the box, but at least I have it up there. Uh, but, you know, to the video games, like if you think like a Rocket League, I don't know if you've seen that or played that game, right? My girlfriend's son played it all the time. Um, he's gone away to college. I'm sure he's going to be playing it there. You know, integrating, we did the Shelby GT350, the 65 version of it in the game. We did the Mach-E 1400, right, the the Vaughn supercar as it incorporating those things into from the the way that the younger generations interact is important to help keep that brand going and it's nice to see that we're doing those type of things so that brand you know we need to continue to bring those people in because boomers are starting to to you know go away i mean not go away but like come out of that marketplace but that brand is still strong (laughs) amongst the younger ones and we need to continue to do those things that support those enthusiasts you know from the person the guy or girl who has their little matchbox car who has their mustang pony on the wall at home how do we keep them involved in the brand in the future And, and we're excited about it all right well i'm uh Looking forward to see what what you guys come up with for the for the new car, and uh, it's going to be uh, interesting next few years to watch as as this market evolves. You know, with traditional internal combustion, electric, and everything in between. Yeah, it is. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Carol, b- before he passed away, um, and we have him on video saying this actually, he wanted to be around to see how electrification would work. Um, he, he was interested more in the like the instantaneous torque nature of it, right? Yeah. From a from a racing and performance perspective. Um, 
and and I'm excited to see what's going to be going on. It's 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 going to be fun. It keeps me young. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you look at what you know what Tesla has done with with their stuff, and they've demonstrated that you know that instant torque and all wheel drive, you know, combined, you know, with, with lots of power, um, you know, can make ridiculously fast accelerating vehicles, and and we've seen it with with this one as well. Um, so you know, maybe blending the something in there. Yeah, I mean. Ford's got some some hybrid powertrains that you know you could probably fit into a Mustang. It's been hinted at it in the past. The world is our oyster coming forward, right. and and I, I can't wait to see what we do. All right, always great to talk to you. Jeff. Always good, my Thank friend. And I've also got one question that came in this week from Gupta AJ on Twitter. Uh, he asked, F-150 Power Boost Platinum or Tundra Hybrid 1794 with the TRD off-road package, both 4x4. Which one would probably better hold its value three to four years down the road? And uh, I, I already replied to AJ on um, Twitter, but I want to answer it here as well. So, you know, obviously, you know, for new vehicles, it's hard to project you know, exactly what their residual value is going to be, you know, three or four years down the road from now, because, you know, a lot of things can change. Uh, but, you know, if we take a look back at history for the F-150 and uh, Tundra, uh, back before either of them had a hybrid option, you know, going back to 2018, you know, so four years, uh, four years ago, uh, the um, Residual value of the F-150 Platinum, and I, I looked this up um, on KBB.com, uh, is roughly about uh, $32,000 or so, thirty-two dollars to $33,000. Um, the same year, uh, Tundra 1794, uh, with similar mileage on it, uh, came out to about thirty-four dollars to $35,000, so about a $2,000 difference. Uh, but I also went back and looked at what the original prices were on those two trucks. Um, you know, and I, I didn't go through and you know, do exactly comparably equipped. But um, just the, the, the sticker price for uh, the F-150 Platinum versus the Tundra 1794 was a similar two to $2,500 uh, price difference. Um, so, and the Tundra was a little bit more expensive. So each one of them, lost roughly had roughly the same depreciation over the last four years from 2018 till now so more than likely uh if you're uh you know looking at the new ones uh the hybrid hybrid versus hybrid platinum versus tundra um you know four years from now they're probably going to have similar levels of depreciation um not not a whole lot to choose from so basically just pick whichever one you can get your hands on or whichever one you like better um, either, either way, you know, it's, it's a good truck. Uh, the plot, the F-150 does have some features you can't get on the, the Tundra. Uh, you know, the Tundras, uh, you know, some people, uh, think that they're, they may be a little more reliable, you know, take your pick. Um, either one's going to be a good choice and that's it for this week. And, uh, we'll be back with the whole team next week. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia.